Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon focuses on Jesus' transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 verses 2 to 9 and is the end of our Follow the Saviour series. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Chapter 9, beginning at the second verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any in the world that could be be bleached. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Well, friends, please pray for me as I pray for you and as we uh, look at this passage and uh, try to apply it to our lives. Loving Lord God, we thank you so much for the transfiguration and for what it tells us about our past about our present, and about our future. In Christ's name, amen. It's a small caterpillar turning into a cocoon and then into a butterfly. And I'd love to show you a picture of that, but unfortunately my clicker is not responding. There we go. It's an acorn growing into a sapling and eventually into a mighty oak tree. Mm. Yeah, there we go. I might just need to tell you, Meg, when, when my next slides are. It's a microscopic embryo being born into the world and then finally changing into its ultimate form. Can you show the next slide? A fully grown rugby prop. <laughs> it's metamorphosis. It's transfiguration, a changing of appearance of one thing or a person into another. Today we're skipping forward seven chapters in Mark's Gospel to Mark chapter 9, verse 2, where we read in the next one, 
Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led him up a high mountain. There they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. It's a divine camping trip, a little slice of heaven. It's a revealing of Jesus' nature where time collapses in on itself. And ultimately, the transfiguration leaves us in awe of all God has done in the past, all God is doing in the present, and gives us every reason to trust that in Jesus, the best is yet to come. So let's look at a past affirmed. As we dive into the text, I encourage you to open your Bibles, if you have them, and I hope you do, to Mark chapter 2. I keep on telling people to <laughs> bring their Bibles to church, so here's, here's my Bible, and if you have uh, perhaps a Bible on a device or something like that, I really encourage you. As we go through our sermons, you've got, um, you've got points in the bulletin, and, and feel free to take notes. Um, but it's always good to have the Word of God open right in front of you when you hear it preached. So here in Mark, two, uh, Mark 9, uh, Jesus takes his closest mates up with him to a mountain. Uh, and the mountain is either Mount Tabor. Um, we've got a picture of it in the next slide. There you go. There's Mount Tabor. It's quite a high and glorious mountain. Um, or it's Mount Hermon, which um, is in the next slide. And Mount Hermon is actually a ski resort these days. And uh, you can imagine how powerful um, experiencing God in uh, that sort of space would have been. When Jesus and his disciples are all alone, before their very eyes, he is transfigured. He is changed. Now, I challenge you this week to use the word transfigured in a sentence uh, because it's not a word we use very much in, in English. Uh, but it comes from the Greek word metamorpho, which is funny to say, metamorpho. <laughs> Jesus was metamorphosed. Um, anyway, basically it means that he was changed in figures. That's uh, where we get our word metamorphosis from as well. In the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, the focus is on Jesus' face, his face shining. But Mark instead focuses on his clothes, which turn whiter than anyone in the world could whiten them. Um, that's, what the, that's what Mark tells us. And obviously Mark is describing something that is out of this world. But this event has deep cultural significance for his world. First of all, mountaintops were where God met with his people in the Old Testament. And Peter, James and John would have known those stories of God meeting with his people. In the book of Exodus, God speaks with his people from Mount Sinai, where there are clouds of smoke and billows of fire. Jewish boys would have heard stories growing up of God appearing to people again and again on mountaintops. People like Moses and Elijah. In the next slide, um, look at verse 4 of Mark chapter 9. It says, and there appearing before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now Moses in the Bible is the great liberator of the Hebrew people. He leads them out of slavery in Egypt. And again, in the book of Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the law. 
which we find in our Old Testament. God speaks directly with him, and there he is given the laws which God gave to his people so that they might live free now that God had set them free. Hundreds of years after Moses, the prophet Elijah meets with God on Mount Sinai. He's at a low ebb in his ministry, and God shows himself to him. God hides him in the cleft of a rock, so he doesn't get obliterated by God's power and glory. And I've got this passage up. You don't need to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Kings 19 verse 11 says this, When the Lord passed by and sent a furious wind that split the hills and shattered the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. The wind stopped blowing, and then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the soft whisper of a voice. And that is the voice of the Lord. But Moses and Elijah aren't just here because they're good mountain climbers. They represent something. At the time, Moses was seen as the great lawgiver, and Elijah was seen as the great prophet. So both men stand in the model of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets represented the bulk of the books in the Bible at the time. And Jesus was often accused of breaking the laws of the Old Testament and going against the prophets. But in response, he repeatedly tells his listeners throughout his ministry in Matthew 5-7, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Here, Jesus affirms all God's actions in the past. He stands with two giants of salvation history, talking with them. Jesus is the high point of God's salvation plan. He stands alongside God's good and righteous acts and good and righteous people throughout Scripture and says, I'm the one the whole Bible is pointing to. Jesus is one with Moses and Elijah and all the lawgivers and all the prophets. He is the one that the law and the prophets pointed to and hoped for. So we see the past, um, we see the past affirmed and we, now we see the present transformed in the following verses. Peter has something to say. Peter is often infected by foot-in-mouth disease, um, and he often blurts out the first thing that comes to his head. And in verse 5 of Mark 9, we read, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. How good, Lord, to be here in the Old King James Version. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And I love this little sub-point. He did not know what to say, for they were so frightened. Peter's panicking and excited at the same time. He wants this moment to last. They're in the ski resort of Mount Hermon, perhaps. Uh, it's probably freezing. And if Peter can turn these three religious heavyweights into a tourist attraction, then he can make a matzah. So his big idea... Let's build tents. But before Peter can begin his building plan, 
God speaks. A cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen, listen, listen to him. This cloud um, is the Shekinah glory cloud, and we see it throughout the Old Testament coming with God's power and glory. But for over 400 years, God had been silent and hadn't spoken to his people because of their sin and rebellion. But now, God the Father declares, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. It echoes God's affirmation of Jesus in his baptism in Mark 1. And it's the second time of three times God speaks, God the Father speaks with an audible voice in the Gospels. The last time is in the Gospel of John chapter 12, just before Jesus is about to die. But here God affirms Jesus in everything he says. Many refused to listen to Jesus because they thought he contradicted the law and the prophets. But here God the Father says, listen to him. Not Moses, not Elijah, listen to Jesus. Friends, we live in a time when no one wants to listen to Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed. Everyone has an opinion of Jesus, but very few people read or listen to what Jesus has to say to us. Very few people read the words of Jesus handed down to us by faithful people in the scriptures. Sadly, some in the government and even in the church today refuse to listen to Jesus. Laws passed in our own country and across the world in historically Christian countries ignore Jesus' teachings completely. so sad that even in the church, writers, pastors, and church leaders refuse to submit to Jesus' teaching on morality, on good and evil, on doctrine and practice in the church. But it's important that we also see the log in our own, our own eyes, friends. Regularly, we ignore Jesus' teachings on caring for the poor, the outcast, and the people who come to us seeking refuge. We don't look at what Jesus says about money, speaking the truth, and judging others. Peter wants to put up a tent and put Jesus in a box. He wants to box up Moses and Elijah. He wants to box up this moment. But the uncontrollable God says, listen, listen to him. Friends, do we listen to Jesus? Do we care about what Jesus has to say for our present day lives? Or do we ignore him completely? God transforms our presence by directing us to Jesus. And Jesus shows us what God is like and who God is. In verse 8, the voice goes silent, the clouds disappear and Moses and Elijah along with it. The disciples see Jesus affirm the past. God affirms Jesus in the present. And now we must look towards the future. 
Now, if you've ever climbed a mountain, you'll know that any good mountain climb ends in a descent. But as the disciples look towards the future, Jesus gives them a strange order. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The disciples don't understand what he means, but here we see that Jesus is looking forward to his future. He has revealed himself in all his glory. But this is not the high point or the purpose of Jesus' life and of his mission. Now again, we see this point in Mark. We come against the question of the messianic secret. We've seen Jesus heal people and say, don't tell everyone about it. And now we see Jesus appeared in all his glory. And he says to the disciples, don't tell anyone about it. Why? Jesus, if you're trying to make a name for yourself, if you're trying to get the word out there, why are you telling Peter, James, and John not to tell anyone? Well, it's not because he's trying reverse psychology, uh, telling people not to tell anyone so they go and tell everyone. Um, It's also not entirely because Jesus knows that if word gets out that he's God in person, that he'll be mobbed by fans who may revolt and be killed by the Romans. The reason is that no one yet understands the full extent of his mission and his purpose on earth. Jesus didn't come to do tricks on mountaintops. He comes to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for the sins of the world and to rise three days later. On the night he's betrayed, Peter, Peter, the man who saw Jesus in all his glory, tries to start an uprising. He, he tries to fight people, tries to kill them. And then he cuts someone's ear off because he thinks that this is his time. He's so desperate. And then when Jesus is crucified, he thinks Jesus has failed. But he's seen Jesus in all his glory. You see, he didn't understand until Jesus rose from the dead. And then Jesus shows himself in his resurrection body. And Peter is transformed. And through his understanding of who Jesus is and how Jesus calls to live, Peter is transformed. Peter is transfigured. Friends, the transfiguration shows us much about our future. In his first coming, Jesus came undercover, if you will, veiled in flesh, the Godhead sea, hail the incarnate deity, the carol rings. In his first coming, Jesus humbles himself by leaving his glory behind in heaven and appearing as a man. He's veiled. A man who struggles, who suffers in the sinful world, and a man who dies at the hands of sinful men. But when Jesus dies, we see him resurrected in his glorified body. People at first don't recognize him, and sin, suffering, and death have no power on him anymore. This is the Jesus who ascends into heaven, and one day he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. When he returns, he will not return as a baby, he will return as a king then it will be impossible to ignore his words. Then no one will deny his glory. Then eternal life will be a full reality and all of us will be transformed by his light. 
Rather than suffering for sin, Jesus will judge sin. And rather than keeping it a secret, every eye will see him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, I don't know if you've been sitting in this church this morning and you've noticed this beautiful window at the back of our church. I love coming in here in springtime uh, because the light just hits the church as I come in to set up. Oopsie, better not cause too much havoc back here. <laughs> but you'll notice here it says St. Petrus. That's Peter. And here you see St. Johannes. That's St. John, after whom our church is named. And finally, on the glory cloud... With his shining clothes, there's some daffodils and daisies in his clothes. I think that's the artist impression. But Jesus is shining and revealing his glory all around to his people. He is transfigured. Friends, this should be how we think about our past. Christ has died for our sins and forgiven us so we can now live as free people. Christ is speaking to us in his word. So we need to listen to him and apply his word to our lives. And Christ will come again in glory. And every eye will see him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And the dead in Christ will rise and all people will see him together and enter into his presence. Friends, this should change the way we think about our future. This should change what we're living for. This should transfigure us so that we might become more like Jesus, both now and forevermore. Amen.